Tonight's New Testament reading is from John 1, verses 1 through 18. This is on page 4 of your bulletin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Today marks the fun, uh, first Sunday of Advent, and uh, every year here at Grace DC, uh, one church, three congregations, we have the privilege of hearing from our network pastors. And so tonight we welcome Pastor Yancey, who recently passed his ordination exams. We celebrate that with you, brother. Yeah. And uh, he will be bringing the word to us. And uh, we're doing a different format this year. Uh, in the past, we rotated different pastors in. Uh, but we're trying something different. So basically, we tagged one pastor to preach all three times that one Sunday. So Yancey, in other words, had uh, plenty of practice. And uh, now he's going to bring his finished, polished product uh, to us tonight. Why don't you come up here, Yancey? We want to pray for you. We want to pray for strength that you don't pass out in the middle of your sermon. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this brother, Yancey. Thank you for his gifts, his faith, and thank you, Lord, for his preparation and the work that he has put in in bringing this word. We know, God, that you promise that your word never returns void. And so, Lord, help this brother to preach with that promise on his heart and to declare boldly the words that are given to him the convictions that you placed on his heart, Amen. and that those words would bear fruit in our lives, leading us to faith and faithfulness in the coming days. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Thank you, brother. As always, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight, to open God's word, to look at his truth that he has for us at the beginning of this Advent season uh, as we focus upon the return of Christ. 
in some ways we're focusing on uh, saints of old that had to focus on God's coming in his son. As we look forward, <coughs> excuse me, to focusing on the glorious one uh, or the glory and grace of God, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we are together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you that you have marked this time out to be a time where your word goes out. And that's what we want. Our hearts want to be inflamed by you so that we will know you, Father, so that we can have the assurance of faith in you by your grace. Help us, O oh Lord. Help me during this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> well, it's that time of the year when you begin to wonder what gift will I receive for this Christmas? You know, when I was 10 years old, I wanted a boom box. I went to Christmas shopping with my mom and I saw the one that I wanted. I remember indicating somehow that the silver boom box with the big speakers was the perfect gift. Surely she would catch the hint that that was the one I wanted. So there was no need to pressure her or constantly remind her as kids do, you know, ask over and over again. And so on Christmas morning, I remember going and opening my gifts only to find out that my boom box did not boom. My mom purchased a small dual cassette radio. I was bummed out. There's no glory in that small rectangle radio. You know what I did? I just smiled, put a smile on my face, but secretly in my heart, I rejected the gift. Has something like that ever happened to you? Where you had this high expectation for a better gift or the gift that you wanted that you thought was better and you didn't get it. Or maybe at the beginning of this prologue in John here, you were expecting angels and shepherds, but John cut, cuts, to the, 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 cuts to the chase. And he focuses on the core essentials here of the gospel. And that is Jesus, the eternal one. Jesus came down in time to seek and to save the lost. This was the master plan. So in this gospel, we see the apostle, you know, as you read through John, you, you see him going to great lengths to disclose who Jesus really is. John repetitiously, he's repetitiously clear about the reason for this revelation, the good news about Jesus. And he gives us the purpose for which he writes the entire book in John 20, 31. He states that he has recorded this gospel so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Therefore, the, uh, the Apostle John writes the prologue to the gospel account where he discloses the fact that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited 
Messiah. We see this in verses in verse 14, which states the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've said it in different ways tonight uh, through the, the leadership here uh, of the worship, through song. We, we said it in different ways that God in the second person of the Trinity made his dwelling among us. Jesus came into the world in a real human body as a baby boy in the most common way. One scholar characterized it this way, but supremely, the word which was with God in the very beginning came into the sphere of time, history, tangibly. In other words, how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed. And the rest of the book is nothing other than an expansion of this theme, the grace and glory of God. John writes in another place, and he gives testimony to that which we have heard, talking about he and the other apostles and the disciples in 1 John 1, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So we get the picture. The disciples have heard Jesus speak. They're saying he is real. They have watched him laugh. They have watched him cry. They've seen the tears roll down his eyes. They have listened to him. They have been intimate in the details of his life. They know when he became tired. They know his family. They have touched him. And even Jesus had touched them. He washed their feet, lowly, intimate. Jesus began as a babe, lowly, in in, an intimate, vulnerable way. And he continues this vein throughout his life, even to washing his disciples' feet, the servant of all servants. But in the backdrop, during this first advent, people are in disarray. The world is, is lost. The Roman occupation is in the land, in the Holy Land, and is not their own. The king over them is not the king that God had promised. And even as John would write here, Jesus came to his own, and they received him not. The rightful king was in the land, and they did not receive him. They did not go to see him when he was a babe, for they weren't expecting him to come in such a way. The most astonishing thing happened. He came, and he became like one of his creatures, the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, the God who has created everything, who never known time, came down in time for you and for me. Of course, this type of language here takes us back to Exodus, doesn't it? You know, God dwelling with his people. There God saved his people by bringing them out of slavery, out of Egypt, as he promised. He made a covenant with them when he brought them to the mountain of Sinai. And he promised to be their people. And he would, he would be their God and they would be his people. God instructed them to build a tabernacle, a place where God could come down, a tent, a dwelling for God among them. 
You know, Jesus is the fulfillment of this tabernacle. He is the fulfillment of the temple. So during this first advent, he is the dwelling place of God, the Savior of the world. You know, those who had come to see him that night, the shepherds, had the right thing in mind. Let us go see what the angel is talking about. Let us go and observe the glory of God. So those that did receive Jesus when he was here and profess his name were led by God to do so. Only God could reveal that to them. It's only through their Savior's interaction with, with him in the world that they were able to, as we are, behold the glory of God. And through the Savior, we're only able to embrace the gift of his grace. And through him, we're only able to accept the gift of God himself. First, behold the glory of God. Verse 14 here, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Jesus' glory. And so as John writes this, you know, you have to go back to the scriptures that they had during the time. So that God's glory is his, his, in the Old Testament, there's a word for it, Shekinah. His presence, just the presence of the Lord. It was the revelation of God's being, his nature, his presence to man. In the Pentateuch, the glory of God dwelt with his people, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, leading them through the wilderness, never to depart until they went into the land. And even the, the glory, this word uh, denotes weightiness because it's about God, who is the weightiest of all. He came down and rested on Mount Sinai. The thunder and lightning was there. God spoke out. People were in utter horror by God and the sight that they saw. Enough to say to Moses, uh, Moses, you speak with us. We, we've had enough of hearing from God. You speak to us. They were in utter fear, and rightly so. Even Moses, in the presence of God, he requested God, show me your glory. God, make it plain. Let me see you. And God did make it plain. Moses, to see me is to cease to exist. No one, no man can see God, can see the face of God and live. But God did grant him a, a small little vision of himself, hiding him in the cleft of a rock, allowing him to see if he were his backside. And Moses was so filled with glory that his face shone. And it, again, scared the people that he had to put a veil on his face. And the glory of God filled the tabernacle, especially at the hour of sacrifice. When they made sacrifices, God came down. As we come to Jesus, the one and only who is from the Father, there's no other son like Jesus. The one and only, the baby wrapped in flesh, is the glory of the Lord. He came from the Father. He is ordinary, but at the same time, extraordinary. As we have said before, 
100% man and 100% God. Jesus is the God-man to lead his people out of bondage from sin and misery to the hope and to everlasting peace. Through him, God, you know, we see God face to face, don't we? Through Jesus, we see God face to face. Glorious is he, being the tabernacle that dwells in bodily form, full of glory, full of the Father. His glory was seen through what he did, through his signs, meaning his miracles. In Canaan and Galilee, changing water to wine, raising the dead, raising Lazarus, healing the blind. Amazing, this glory of Jesus that we behold in Scripture. And Jesus, one thing that we know about him, that Jesus did not seek glory for himself. He debased himself. He humbled himself unto obedience, unto the Father. He wanted to glorify his Father and not himself. The ultimate picture of Jesus' glory is through his sacrifice on the cross. He did not come down, but he stayed. He suffered. He was humiliated. And it's amazing, isn't it? Such a humiliation of our Savior becomes such a, a glorious act of obedience. This is the glory that we believe in. Behold the gift of glory. And some of us here, we might think about God's glory, and we may shudder as well. But if we are, if we are honest, we would say, well, I usually try to seek glory for myself. I usually go about my life trying to see who I can please or who I can move away from in order to feel like I am someone, like I have my own dignity, that I have earned it for myself. And it reminds me of uh, a friend of a friend. His name is Eddie. I will say his name is Eddie. <laughs> he wanted to be glorious in all his ways. Very driven young man, very progressive, has many ideas that he wants to turn into inventions, only to the end of making more, making more, so that he can have his name in lights. He's had so many ideas, and he has borrowed so much money to try to bring these ideas to fruition that he has left other people bankrupt. You see, he doesn't put up his own funds. But one day, he met someone. Eddie met a lovely young lady, and he married her. He married her because she was a princess. And you think, she's a princess? Surely he's made it. He's hit the jackpot. You know, he will be glorified now. He is in the royal family. No, he doesn't stop there. But he continues to go and try to please himself, to try to glorify himself. He hasn't been changed by the glorious one. We, too, are prone to reject the wealth of the spiritual reality of Christ for our self-aggrandizement in this life, aren't we? 
we too want that same type of glory. And you may be like me. You know, you, you place the, the family and seemingly magic of Christmas above the unfading beauty of Christ. Thank God for Advent, that we have an opportunity to slow down, as Kevin alluded to, to really soak up all the beauty of Christ during this time. But if you're like me, I, I really just want another cup of cider, please, and to listen to my favorite Christmas station, because I idolize family. And, you know, to come around family and friends during this time of the year, to purchase gifts for one another, there's nothing wrong with that. But while we go about our lives and do these things, we don't want to miss the main thing in terms of what this season is about. It can be easily missed. And a good litmus test for this, at least for me, is when my wife and I, we get into sort of, sort of a tension about people coming over and all the things we have to do. Uh, we can't decide the type of gifts we want to buy our friends and our family. It's like, wait a minute. We've got this all wrong. Why are we intentional about such a good thing? This is glorious. We're doing this for the sake of Christ, to celebrate his birthday, his incoming, his salvation unto us. But that's a litmus test for us. You may have your own. There may be some of you out there where this is not a time necessarily of tension with other people, but a tension within where you feel lonely or you feel a type of depression because of family members that you miss. I know I miss my grandmother during this time of the year, a wonderful lady. Or you may fear loneliness as you have had a breakup recently. But let Christ be the one to glorify you. In your humble state, in your obeyed state perhaps, let him lift you up in due time as he has promised. And this is a ripe season to do it. Everything around us reminds us of him, does it not? The evergreen tree that you cut down and you bring into your house could remind you of eternal life. Even the, the lights around the, the tree can remind you that he is indeed the light of the world. Even the parties that you go to can help you remember that you are part of a community, a family, that really does love you because of the love of Christ. God sees you, and he's leaning towards you today. He's leading you to continue to behold the gift of glory and also to embrace grace. Jesus is said to be, in verse 14, full of grace and truth. And in verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another or Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Indeed, it was. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we see here one who is full of grace and compassion. He's full of the word because he is indeed. And by that truth, we know that he is gracious because we see his ways. And through Jesus' ways, coming to heal, coming to give a gentle touch, coming to speak truth. He is the eternal that of grace. 
It's as if he has this eternal vat just pouring it down upon us. Grace upon grace. Pour it out to those who believe. Pour it out to those who believe during the days of Moses, who looked forward to Christ, who had the promises, and pour it out during the time of John's writing, even now, to us. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. And if you are still investigating Christ right now, if you're still pondering, who is this man? God has been gracious to you as well because he cares for all that he has made. No one escapes the grace of God while you're alive and well. Not, not, not one. If you have a, a friend that you've been praying for, that, they will, that God will open their eyes to, to see him, that he really, the babe really is the king of the world that has come, God will be gracious to that prayer. God will be gracious to your friend. We don't know the ultimate outcome, but we know that he is good and he will, he will bring goodness into the lives of those we love because we ask of him. So from the fullness of grace, we've all received one blessing after another, one blessing after another. One blessing comes, another one goes, and another one comes. One blessing comes, another one goes, another one comes. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Some people characterize it as, you know, we, we can't help but to breathe, right? We don't have to think about it. Breathe in, blessing, breathe out, blessing. Breathe in, blessing, breathe out, blessing. Even the things that we do, the things that we have, the things that God put in our possession, those things are for flourishing, for blessing, so that you may know that his grace is for you. Titus talks about this in chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. This is our hope. And what, what does it do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Meaning that the things that he put in our lives, the things that we are prone to run after, that those things don't cut it. He encourages us. He leads us to live self-controlled and upright lives, godly lives in the present age. Even though we have a lot of hardships that are going on around the world, God presses in on us and continues to lead us to remain godly, waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for the return of Christ, our glory, our great God and our Savior. He's the one that redeems. You know, the lovely, one of the loveliest pictures of this overflowing vat of grace in Scripture is from Luke 7, where Jesus is in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and a woman of the city comes in. How bold it was for her to come in to this gathering of people speaking together. And she begins to anoint Jesus' feet, weeping, tears dropping on Jesus' feet, as Scripture says, and washing his, his feet with her hair, and then taking this alabaster flask and breaking it open. You know, imagine the perfume just going through the air, and, and she's breaking it, and she's anointing Jesus' head and his feet. The aroma is just really thick in the room. And then someone says, if this man knew what type of woman this was, you know, how can he, a prophet, 
you know, if he really is a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is. Oh, Jesus knows what type of woman this is. He really does. Because this is the type of person that knows the depth of their woe, knows the depth of their brokenness, has come in contact with the glory of God in Christ, and also knows the grace through faith that, that he is the only one that can forgive sins. And listen to this. In verse 44, uh, Luke 7, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who is this one? Who is this one? The eternal that of grace. He is Jesus, the Christ, the only one by which grace can come. She knows the depth of this grace. She has given much because she sees who Jesus really is. Do we see who he really is? Do we believe that he's able to continue to be gracious to us when we feel lacking during this time of the year? Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm just too messed up of a person. How could he look upon me with favor? I'm really no good. Others may, you may have seen the blatant wrongdoing in your life. And it feels as if God is not gracious enough. It's like, God, more. I need more. I need you to help me, God. And it feels like he is not helping you in your loneliness, but he brings a friend. It feels like he's not helping you in your despair, but he promises his presence again and again. Which one of these promises of his grace will you hold on to? Then others may be skeptical about how grace works and really doubt that could this be for me? Yes, it can be for you. It is for you. God has been very serious about you embracing his grace. That's why he did the initiating towards you through Christ, the gracious act of his son coming and dying on the cross for you was an act of grace. His resurrection was an act of grace for you. His, the life that he gives you is an act of grace. All that he gives is for you to enjoy and for you to see that he really is the intimate, personal Savior that you are in relationship with. So take heart, for he did not die on the cross for nothing. If you hear his voice today, embrace his gracious gift in Christ. Behold glory. Embrace grace. Friends, accept God and all the beauty of who he is. No one has ever seen God, not one. 
as we already read today and have seen, that to see God is to cease to exist. But there is one who has seen him, God of very God, the one and only, the unique son, the holy son of the father. And even now he's at his side. You know, God clothed himself in man for the sake of being disclosed in Jesus. Jesus is the unique one, son of God. No one can come and do what he did for us. Only Jesus can do that. And Jesus makes the father known as the father makes him known. He does not, Jesus does not seek glory for himself. Neither does the father. Jesus makes him known. John 17, 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus makes the father known. He tells Philip, you know, if you see me, you've seen the father. If that, that should be enough there. You see the works that I've done. You see the miracles that I have done. Jesus has declared that the bread that you, that you read about in Scripture, the manna for heaven, I am the true bread. Look at the people that I feed around me. The nourishment of your soul, hey, I am the vine where you get true spiritual nourishment for your soul. And even John would write, Jesus did so many things that there are not enough books that can hold all the things that he did. This is the one that brings glory to the Father. And this is the one that we can trust in. For we do not glorify ourselves, but we are glorified in Jesus because of what he has done for us on the cross. And if there is any disbelief about this testimony of of Jesus, then we have to simply just ponder What is going on with our hearts? You know, maybe just a simple prayer. Lord, help me to see this. Help me to believe this. Only you can open the eyes of the blind, of the spiritual blind, so to speak. Only Jesus can do these things for us. You know, I never received that boom box. And I've always wanted one. And I sometimes fantasize about one. But that was a childhood dream of mine. But you know the thing that I remember most about that time of opening those gifts? My mother's smile. As I opened that gift, I still see her smile in my head, looking down upon me, happy about the gift that she's given me, rejoicing in her heart that I look forward to enjoying this thing. She doesn't know that in my heart I really rejected it, But in time, I learned to play with it well. I got really good at dubbing tapes, if you guys know what that is, uh, younger generation. And and so it just became a world of music for me as I began to explore that little boom box. You know, God has so much more for us than a boom box. He has the most precious, outstanding gift for us in his son. And because of this gift, God does smile down on us. We can see the face of God in Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
for you and for me. Behold, that's glory. And we can trust in his future grace for us in this season and the next. We can trust that he really wants us to enjoy all that he has given us, but not in first place where he wants us to really enjoy him. That's why we have all the the twinkling lights and and all the, the joy during this time. It really is about celebrating our Savior and grace is grace for you. And lastly, we know that the Father has accepted us, those who know him. And there are others that he desires to come in to his fold as well. Would you respond to his amazing grace tonight to accept the Father of love who gave his precious, most precious gift, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, you're the merciful God, and we thank you for for coming down to us, doing something that we could not do, making it last forever. For we long to see you again, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray, amen.